Welcome to our third session, but our second lesson of worry-free decision-making. And you should have received some notes because we finished in the previous two weeks the notes that were handed out at the beginning. So everybody needs a new set of notes. And on the front cover, I think it says lesson two. Anybody need a set? we got some guys in the back here with sets in hand. All right. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. Let me make some announcements quickly, and then we will get into the the content. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, ladies, the Heart to Heart ministry is going to resume. They're going to start with a bonfire. And that was intended for two weeks ago, but the weather uh, canceled that. And uh, we're going to have a different, so a different date, but also a different location. Uh, it was going to be at our house, but Marcy Hunter has graciously agreed to have it at her place. So it's going to be at Marcy's house tomorrow at 7. And ladies, you're all in, invited to attend that. If you need any of the details about it, then stop at the uh, Welcome Center before you leave the uh, desk out in the in the lobby. On Wednesdays, we have our full complement of services for all age groups uh, going. That's uh, two weeks in now. And we have adult classes while the children's and teen classes are going on. We have three adult classes. And the one class that we urge everybody in our church to take, we actually have two of them, two classes that we urge everybody to take. This is one of those two. It's called How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible. Since we're only two weeks into that, actually, this would we're three weeks into the semester, but only two weeks into that class because I teach it, and I wasn't there this past Wednesday. So you've only missed two of the sessions. Uh, so if you're looking to pick that up, now would be the time to do that. If you go much beyond that, then you're jumping in uh, probably too late. So I would encourage you to come this uh, coming Wednesday at uh, 7, 7 o'clock. This coming Saturday from 5 to 9 at the home of Jeff and Edie Mize, we have our annual uh, bonfire and hayride. Always a great time. Need you to go on our website, though, and designate uh, what category of food you're going to be able to bring. And there's lots of categories of food, some of them very small, like uh, hamburger buns, chips, that kind of thing. We need that. But especially if you can bring the bigger stuff, uh, because those are the ones that are harder to get. And uh, Pastor Larry was saying we've had lots of sign-ups for chili, which is good. We need more sign-ups for the, the Sloppy Joes in particular. So please uh, do that even even today. That would be a great help. And we'll have a great time. Last thing I want to mention is our Enchanted Trails uh, event. That's an outreach event that we've had for several years, and it's been a very successful and a much-enjoyed event by folks in our community. For that, though, we always need a ton of candy to give to the kids who, who come to this, so we take weeks to collect that candy. We've got a receptacle out uh, next to the Welcome Center desk out in the lobby, so over the next uh, week or two, if you could bring some in, that would be a great help. We have had two sessions, uh, but one lesson in this series, worry-free decision-making. The main point that we tried to make in those two sessions is there's a difference biblically between the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God. And in the notes that we handed out and went over these last two weeks, if you need a copy of those notes, we have extras. <coughs> Excuse me. And in those notes, on page four, of those notes. We kind of give a summary of the difference between the two. Uh, I'll give that summary to you here. That the sovereign will of God has these three characteristics to it. It's what God has chosen to allow. 
So the sovereign will of God is his sovereign control over everything that happens in his universe. It's what he has chosen to allow to take place in his, in his world. It's whatever comes to pass. If you want to know the sovereign will of God for today, ask me tomorrow, and I'll be able to tell you. It was whatever happened the day before. That's the sovereign will of God. It's whatever he's chosen to allow. But from our standpoint, unless God has told us the future, which he has done a few times with like predictive prophecy, and he has said in Scripture, this is what's going to happen in the future. Outside of those exceptions, the sovereign will of God is unknown to us. It's hidden. We don't know what's going to be until it happens. We know the sovereign will of God after the fact. And then thirdly, uh, because of all of that, it cannot be missed. You can't miss the sovereign will of God. You're going to do the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God can't be contradicted. It can't be thwarted. That's why it's sovereign. It's what God has decreed to allow in his world. All right, that's the sovereign will of God. And sometimes people mix those up because, as I pointed out last week, you have someone like the lady that I ran into who uh, asked, well, said to me, uh, hey, my daughter uh, had uh, a child out of wedlock, and I tried to, I grappled with that. Is that, is that wrong? Was it wrong for her to have you know, had a child out of, out of wedlock? And I determined that if God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. So God wanted it to happen. So she's mixing the categories there. She's saying, hey, I believe in the sovereign will of God, which is, which is good. And yes, this precious child fits into the sovereign will of God. Thanks be to God. And so we, we prize this child and we love this child and no, no matter the circumstances. Uh, and so uh, she's got that part of it right. But she's missed the second piece, and that is the Bible teaches the moral will of God. There's the sovereign will of God, but there's the moral will of God. And the moral will of God has these three characteristics. It's what pleases God. So it's not just what God has chosen to allow, it's what pleases God. Because as you think about it now, there are things that God has chosen to allow that don't please him. Is that, is that right? Has God chosen to allow things that don't please, that do not please him? Well, if it's everything that comes to pass, <laughs> then there's all kinds of things in this world that violate what pleases God. True? God chose to allow the entrance of sin into his world, but sin does not please God. So there are lots of things that, that displease God that he's allowed into his world. They fit under his sovereign will, but his moral will are those things that please him, that he wants, that he desires, that reflect him. So the moral will of God is what pleases God. And secondly, unlike the sovereign will of God, it's not been hidden. It's not known only to God until after it happens. Rather, it's been made known. It's been revealed. He's told us. He's written about it in a book. This, these are the things that please me. This is what I'm like. This is my character. It can be emulated and is to be emulated. So it's what pleases God. It has been revealed. It's not hidden. And it can be missed. The sovereign will of God cannot be missed.
but the moral will of God can. You and I can and do make wrong choices. You and I can and do sin. And those are all, those are all examples of missing then the, the will of God. So when we talk about worry-free decision-making, our decisions are made based upon the moral will of God. They're made upon this will of God that is what pleases him, this will of God that is not hidden but has been made known. And it can be missed, but in our decisions we don't want to miss it. So we look at what he's revealed and we make decisions in accordance with it. So when you've got a title like that, worry-free decision-making, the decision-making part is the moral will of God. The worry-free part is in large part due to the, excuse me, the truth of the sovereign will of God. Because you know what? We're going to go over the next few weeks over more stuff about how to make decisions. And I know you guys. You're going to mess it up. And me too. We're going to get it wrong. And because we want to please God, if we don't have a firm grasp on the idea that God is sovereign and his sovereignty in this word I used last week in this inscrutable way overrules our foolishness, even overrules our sin, thanks be to God. Now I can move forward with confidence. So the worry-free part comes from the sovereign will of God. The decision-making is done within the realm of his moral will. Now, the end of last week, we ended our session, and I said, am I the only one who thought it was really warm in here? And several of you agreed it was warm. (coughs) And then you helpfully came up to me and said, it was God's moral will that you be warm. And I'm thinking of that as I can't talk right now. And I'm thinking a bunch of you are going, it's God's moral will. (coughs) Thank you. That Dave gave me a cough drop. Now some of you are going, I've been praying for years that that guy would lose his voice. (laughs) And thank God he answers prayer. And here we are. So we'll see what happens the rest of the time. Keep praying. So we take comfort in the sovereign will of God when, not if, we break his moral will. But we don't ever use... the sovereign will of God, as an excuse when we break his moral will. So what has God said about what he wants? And how do my choices fit into that? So here's a test for you. 
Where did God's revealed moral will fit in to your big decisions? I want you to think about that. In the big decisions that you've made in your life, where did God's moral revealed will fit into that? So what are some of those big decisions? If you're married, that's a big decision. When you chose a spouse, where did God's moral revealed will fit into that? Now you say, hey man, I didn't even know Jesus when I got married. Okay, well then we know the answer. It didn't fit in at all, right? I mean, you got married. If you got married, that's good. God has revealed that marriage is from him. And marriage is honorable among all. Hebrews chapter 13 says. And so you may have even unknowingly followed the will, the revealed moral will of God in that. But in terms of who I choose and why I choose them and all of that, if you weren't a Christian at the time, it didn't fit in. But if you were a Christian... Where did it fit in? How did you explicitly think about the moral revealed will of God? Or when you were trying to choose what school you were going to go to, you graduated from high school, and now you're thinking about what's next, career, college, what? You had an open house. Uh, after you graduated from high school, people came, congratulated you, gave you cards with money in them. That's a, that's a good purpose for open houses, for you to get money to take the next step, really. So I say that not sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it's really it's really a good thing. But this is not a good thing. Everything, Every one of those open houses, people that are giving you those cards, say to you, so, what are you going to do? And you're 18. And the truth is, you don't know. But they're giving you money. So you make something up. You tell them that you've got your life planned out. You're going to go to this school. You're going to get this degree. And you're, right? <clears throat> and that, almost, that happens for almost nobody. Now, there's some people who, you know, when they were 12, they knew what they were going to do, and that's the way it went. But for most people... I think I've shared this stat with you. 75% of people change their major at least once. 50% change them twice. So you don't have to have your whole career path figured out. But as you thought about going to school, having a career, where did God's moral revealed will fit into that? Your location, where you have chosen to live, how did God's moral revealed will fit into that? If you're thinking about changing your location, you're thinking about moving, relocating, what, what factors are going into that related to the revealed moral will of God? You guys sense I'm getting a little stronger here? So we got two groups of people praying. <laughs> so if you were praying for my voice to come back, you're a real prayer warrior. 
If you were praying for me to lose my voice, you're a loser. And if you don't use that, if you don't use the moral, revealed will of God for the big decisions, then you can be sure you're not using them for the small decisions, right? And it means, then, that what I do, then, is wide open. What I might choose to do, even on big decisions... Next week, next month, next year, five years from now is wide open. I mean, what am I consulting to make that decision? Big decisions. If not the moral revealed will of God. And yet many, many, many people and many Christians, people in general for sure, but Christian people are just absolutely wide open with regard to what their path, their life could take in the choices that they make next year, two years from now, five years from now, where they could be living, what they could be doing. So, on page four of your notes, and I know most of you don't have those, I'm just you can just write it down to look at it later. But the notes that we gave you previously, on page four, we quote one of the authors of one of the books that we recommend, that we have in our resource center, Decision Making in the Will of God, and Gary Friesen. And Gary Friesen defines the moral will of God as the expression of God's character in behavioral terms. It's a good it's a good definition that the moral will of God is the expression of his character, what he is like in our attitudes and in our our actions. That's that's good. But I'm going to take that now another step further and a crucial step further. You need to understand this, that God's character drives his purpose. So the moral will of God is the expression of God's character, what God's like. That's all true. But you need to understand this, that what God is like, God's character, drives God's purpose. And what God is like, God's character, God's moral will, should drive our purpose as well. And if you separate those, if you separate, there's God's moral will, there's what he's like, and if in my action, whatever that action that action is, I do it in a way that reflects God's character, then it doesn't really matter what the particular sphere is that I'm doing it, doing it in. What matters is that whatever I'm doing, I need to do it in a way that reflects God. That's the common understanding. And I'm suggesting we need to rethink that. That it's not just that what I do is done the way God would do it. But rather, it's 
what I choose to do to begin with. Not just in how I do it, but what I choose to do needs to be a reflection of the character of God that drives his purpose. And if you separate those, the character of God, what he's like, and his purpose, if you separate those, then it means it really doesn't matter what I choose to do as long as I do it in a moral way. And that's the way most Christians think. It doesn't matter what I choose to do as long as whatever I choose to do, I do it in a moral way. All kinds of issues with that. Not least, who's driving the agenda then here? Us or God? If it doesn't matter what I choose to do, then I get, I'll just choose whatever I like to do. And as long as I do it in a moral way, God's happy. We're going to see that God's character is, in fact, drives his purpose, and he has told us what that purpose is, and so his character ought to drive our purpose as well. Otherwise, wide open. What you're going to do next year, two years from now, five years from now, could be anything that you just choose to do. But you'll do it in a godly way. Therefore, it's deemed to be the moral will of God. And if you take that approach, you're going to be like this couple in this commercial. Do we have the commercial? All right. It's a 30-second commercial. Change in plans. And that's the way most people go through life. That they're not, they're not looking at the purpose of God and God's purpose for his people in his world, but rather they're making choices from day to day, week to week, even on big things that are just a change in plans. They are very often just what strikes our fancy? I mean, for example, now, to be fair, you know, their, their daughter had twins. And so they're trying to plan around their daughter having twins. That's a good thing. Uh, but then it's, you know what, maybe I'll sell art. Maybe we'll buy a loft. Maybe we'll... Where does the, the purpose of God... Let me narrow it more down more narrowly. Where does the mission of God fit into any of these decisions. And for most of us, they don't. So for many of us, we could go on a vacation someplace and we could, while we're down there, we could buy a house. I mean, we were just down there, man, and we were just smitten with the place, I got to tell you. Just smitten. I mean, the weather's perfect. This place is perfect. And, And I want you to know, Pastor, by the way, 
We, we know you shouldn't move someplace if you don't have a church to go to. So we looked for a church while we were there too. Okay, good. And that is good. So the decision is made based on the mission, based on the purpose of God. Very often, it's just wide open, whatever happens to come up next. So I'm suggesting that it needs to be different than that. Now, one last caveat, and we'll look at page 8. As I talk about these decisions, I'm talking about discretionary decisions. The truth is all of us have decisions that are imposed upon us providentially by the Lord. There are sometimes decisions that I just have to make because God has said something in his word that places an obligation upon me and now that thing is before me and I just need to do it. For example, maybe you have a a loved one who lives out of state and they fall ill and you're the person responsible for helping them. And you just have to drop everything and figure out how to get there, be near them, and take care of them. Well, that's what you've got to do, and it's the right thing to, to do. It's, it's a decision that's imposed on you. You simply, you simply have to do it. Uh, you, you know, I'm doing my work serving the Lord here, pastoring. But if something happened with Kim and I needed to take care of her for a period of time, then I may have to come and say, I can't do what I'm currently doing because I, have to, I need to take care of my wife. And God's told me to do that. And you guys would all understand that. So there are things that are imposed. I'm talking about discretionary things that we choose to do. How do we make those choices? And the character of God drives his purpose and should drive ours. Page 8. So that means begin with the end in mind. The necessity of knowing where you're going is underscored in this famous exchange between Alice and the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. Alice says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? The cat says, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't much care where. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation, oh, you're sure to do that if you only walk long enough. And for many people, including Christian people, life is one long walk, actually a run toward nowhere in particular. And for the few who have a destination in mind, it's, not, it's, it's often not the goal provided by God in Scripture. So where are you going? What are you trying to achieve? What is your purpose? Proper decision-making begins with a clear understanding of the mission to which God has called us. Then and only then can we make decisions that are consistent with God's revealed will for us. So what is the end? The purpose of man on this earth is confusing to some. This is one of the three big questions of life, though. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Failing to understand what we're here for has led many people to faulty decision-making. Some believe that man is here to make life better for others, and so they live a life of philanthropy. Others believe that man is here to enjoy life, so they live a life of hedonism or the pursuit of pleasure. Some believe that man is here to make money, and so they live a life of hard work and the pursuit of money. 
God has given a different answer to that. And a consistent one. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Isaiah 43, I, God, have created you for my glory. What's the end of all things? This doxology, this praise of God in Romans 11.36, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The famous Westminster Catechism puts it this way. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Our life on this earth is to be consumed with the pursuit of God through knowledge of him and through bringing honor to his name through our lives. To that end, God has given us a mission. Now let me stop. Let me stop there. I said that God's character drives his purpose and ours. And this purpose is clearly in scripture, the glory, the glory of God. So that means I need to step back and say, okay, how does the glory of God relate to the character of God? If the character of God drives his purpose and the purpose of God is ultimately his glory, then how does the character of God relate to the glory of God? So many of you have heard me define this in the past, but it is one of the most important things that you'll ever get your mind around. If, if you will. So I encourage you to think about it. So what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the display of his character. The glory of God is the display of his character. What does God care about? Displaying what he's like. To put it another way, what does God care about? God likes showing off. And I don't mean to be flippant with that. I mean, he, he likes showing off who he is. He made this world to be a display of what he is like. His glory. Okay. And then he put us in it. And remember, when he put us in it, he made us alone among all the rest of the creatures in a particular way, in his, so that we could display what God is like back to God. So God's glory is the display of his character. He made this world to reflect him, and he made us in particular in this world to reflect him morally back to him. In the way we think, in the way we talk, in the way we act. So far, so good. But you guys also know, we all know, something went wrong there. And there's the entrance of sin into God's world so that people that were made to reflect God back to God no longer do that. So the mirrors that we were made to be so that when God looks at you and God looks at me, he sees himself in the way we think, talk, and act. Instead of that, when he looks at those mirrors, here's what he sees. He sees the carnival mirror. He sees the mirror that you walk by, remember, in the car, at the carnival, and then it's got your shape is like halfway over here and halfway over there, and it's all distorted. And you can like see your face. You know it's you. You see your body, but it's all messed up. It's distorted. So it's still sort of there, but it's 
cracked. It's distorted. That's what sin has done to humanity. That's what sin has done to God's world. But God's purpose is his glory, the display of what he's like. And yet the people that he made to especially reflect that back to him, those mirrors are now broken. And so God then created a mission to fix it. A mission to fix the broken mirrors. He he, he created a mission, a way to do that. And then he's calling people out of the world and to himself in which he has started his mirror repair project. And he he is assigned to us to bring other people into it as well. It's called the biblical mission. That's what we're about. That's what we do. We fix mirrors. Well, where do we do that? How do we do that? God wrote a book about it. God even, it's amazing, he established um, safe light locations all all over his world. I was trying to think of the name of that company that fixes like broken glass. Safe light. And, you know, it says safe light repair, safe light replace. So, you know, we're sort of replace, that is, replace your old nature with a new one. And then begin the repair process. God established mirror repair locations around his world. They're called churches. That's the business we're in. We're in the business of taking broken mirrors and fixing them. And God talks about that enterprise over and over and over in his word. It's what he has going on in his world, and it's what he's called us to be a part of. All right, so now let me back up. When I start to make those decisions in my life, now what do I need to plug into that? Now, if I'm going to move somewhere, what do I need to plug into that? Hey, how is this going to help the mission? How is this going to advance the mirror repair project? At the, top of, at the top of my thinking and my criteria should always be, how is this going to enhance and advance the mission to which God has called us together? So, I'm going to get married. Let's go back to the big decisions. I'm going to get married. One, what does the Bible say about the kind of person I'm going to marry if I'm going to be involved in the mirror repair project? going to have to be somebody who's on the same page with that, right? It's going to have to be somebody whose mirror is in the process of being repaired. Somebody who belongs to Jesus. Somebody who understands that that's what we're here, that's what we're here to do. But I'm not going to choose that person only based upon are they a, are they a Christian? I'm certainly not going to choose them based on the more superficial they're hot. 
kind of the way it normally goes. I'm attracted to them. You know, we just, I mean, we just, we just hit it off. I mean, we, we just see things the same way. We just, now, that's a good thing. But none of it, none of it is as important as this is a person who is as committed to the same mission that I am. And together, we're going to partner to do this. And when we have children, we're going to do this with our children. And when we decide the things that we are going to do as a family and in our lives and the plans we're going to make for the future, we're going to do it around that. You say, does anybody really do that? Well, number one, even if it were the case that no one does that, if it's what God says, then it's the right thing to do, period. But I am here to tell you that, believe it or not, there are people who do that. People who have formed their lives and their families and all of their big decisions, including school, including career, including where they're going to live, all of it, based upon the mission that God has given us. So God's moral will is indeed the expression of his character in behavioral terms, our attitudes and our actions. But that moral will of God drives his purpose. His purpose is to see him glorified, to see his character displayed throughout his world. And he's created a way for that to happen. And so now I make decisions based upon what will advance that. And I... And I stay away from any decisions that would be an obstacle to that. That would in some way retard that. Take me away from that. If anything's presented to me that says, I want you to devote half of your time to X. Even if that thing is something you like and it's a moral thing. You're going, is that going to help us advance the admission? And you're going to think deeply about that. So top of page nine, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is what I'm talking about here. And over the next few pages, because obviously if you're going to align your life around that, then you need to be convinced that it's true. That God has given us a, a mission collectively together to carry out and then we make our decisions accordingly. I'll just give you one example from 40 years ago, and then we'll end for today. But 40, yeah, 40 years ago. I'm 60 now. I'm thinking about when I was in college, and I'm having to think about what I'm going to do. And... I wanted initially to go into politics. I wanted to be a politician. So I looked into the people who were in elective office and what did they have to do? And all of them went to law school. So I'm going to go to law school. So I start to go, I start to go down that road. 
And then I look into different law schools, who, what am I going to try to get into? And then uh, I, I start hearing, this was 40 years ago, you know, lawyers are at, quote, a dime a dozen. And unless you get into one of the top law schools in the country, you can't, and all of this. So it was very scary for, for a you know, 19, 20-year-old. So I was intimidated by that, one. But also, as I started to learn this and think about this, how will that advance the mission that God has given us to do? If I become a senator, if I become a governor, how will that advance the, the mission? Now, if, I, if, there, if there are ways to, to do that, then, then praise God for that. And there, and there, may, there may be. Uh, I think that you could partner with, I think you could do the work of God in any vocation if you intentionally set out to do it that way. So I think it could be done. But at the same time, God was working in my circumstances and in my heart for me to consider uh, pastoral ministry. And the Lord led me into this. Now, I was already in college, though. And I had started with compute, uh, political science. And then once I decided the law school thing and the politics wasn't going to be it, I looked in the newspaper to try to find uh, what vocation should I go into? Now, I said the uh, newspaper. So we have a bunch of stuff that's stacked behind that wall. And it was just an accident waiting to happen, okay? Now, there may be a body back there as well. I don't know, but we'll see here in a little bit, okay? So that, that's what that was. So, all right, so now it's not going to be the political science thing. What, you know, what is it going to be? And so I looked in the newspaper. Now, for those of you that are under 30 in here, that's a thing that you would unfold. <laughs> and it was before the Internet, and that's where all the want ads were. And on Sunday, the Sunday paper came out, and it was that thick, remember? And it had all the want ads in the Sunday paper. So I get the Sunday paper, and I look to see, okay, what, what's being hired? Now, this is 1982. If anybody remembers 1982, at the time, the worst recession since the Great Depression. And you look at the one ads, and they're hiring two things, engineers and computer programmers. That's it. You can't get a job as a gas station attendant. You can't get a job as anything. Computer engineering. So computer science it is for me. So my will, this is how I discovered the will of God for my vocational life. They're hiring computer science people, okay? And that's how I got my job. But it was getting that in order to get something greater. Because I needed that, I needed a degree to go to seminary. And I needed to go to seminary to become a pastor. And I needed to meet a girl who was committed to that, to be my partner in that. And then when Kim and I started dating, I laid that out to her and she said, me, I'm going to be pastor's wife. I said, if you're my wife, you are. And she was intimidated by that. But she quickly came around to it. And we've been partners for 37 years. Every single decision lines up according to the mission of Jesus. And you don't have to be a pastor to do that. Most of us aren't. But every decision is made in light of what's the mission? How do I carry it out? Within my circumstances, how do I make my choices in order to advance that?
So we'll see some of those in some more detail in the weeks ahead. Bring those notes back with you and we'll pick up on page nine. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us today, allowing us these sessions to have our worship service together and sing to you and, and read your word and give to you and apply your word to our lives. And thank you, Lord, for this time to think about what you have said about who you are and what it is you are accomplishing in your world and to think about how we fit into that so that we do not make our decisions independent of you and your purposes. And I ask you to help me and to help my brothers and sisters here to be willing to give serious consideration to this. Be willing to give serious consideration to ordering our lives around the purpose to which you have called your people. Help us to contemplate that this week. Give us opportunities, Lord, to be your ambassadors and to represent you, reflect your character to the people with whom we come in contact. Grant us safety, we ask you this week, and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.